Hello, my friends. I'm curious to know how many of you have a leadership pipeline. We know that great leaders grow companies because we talk to them here on the show every day. But what are you doing to create great leaders within yours? If you're a CTO, it is 100% your responsibility to grow and improve your people beyond just their coding abilities. We've built a tool that improves your people in their craft and in leadership. Visit leaderbits.io to learn more. Today we are talking to Unkit Kumar, the CTO at Ubiquity6, and we discuss the advancements made in augmented reality, how the CTO role changes at various stages of growth, and tips to create a more productive working environment. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. First of all, I love the name Ubiquity Six. It just sounds pretty thank cool. You. Yeah, thank you. I love what you're doing. Like your website was beautiful. It was very clear. Edit reality together. Just it sounded awesome. But how how did it come about? Like how did you get started with this whole adventure? Yeah. So my co-founder and I, uh, my co-founder Anjana and I, have known each other for a long time since since college. We like lived together in college back in the day, and we always chatted about working together, building something. And I think the origin story of Ubiquity 6 is maybe a little different in the sense that the the vision of the company, what we're trying to build is not new. It's not like we invented the idea. It's been around in sci-fi and sort of near future books. There's there's a book called Rainbow's End that is a kind of an inspiration for both of us that we had both read. So this, this world that we're trying to bring about has been thought of for a long time. And so it wasn't that we came up with an idea. It was more about when we were chatting, we realized that the tech is at a position. So like to build such a world, like there's a very multidisciplinary set of technology that you have to build and, and rely upon. And it was more of an understanding or a realization that across those different pieces of tech, each discipline is at a maturity now where this, the sort of sum of its parts is now possible. And so when we sort of got confidence in that and sort of did our investigation and talked it through, you know, <clears throat> would these things be possible? Could it, Does this seem reasonable? We realized that this kind of world is not possible. And so we decided to, to build it. And it's, you know, I, 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 of course, think mainly about the tech and talk mainly about the tech, but AR is also in a very good position from a consumer readiness perspective, as it's been sort of introduced into like Snapchat, Facebook, Consumers, generally speaking, have more and more understanding kind of what is AR, what should I expect from an AR experience. And so it was more of a realization of a realization that like now is a pretty perfect time to actually build this world. So what what is it for the people listening? Yeah, that, that, that I probably should have started with that. So kind of at a high level, what we're trying to do is turn physical spaces into containers for virtual content. So what we want to do is have a have a system where a developer or a consumer can author content, edit reality as we as we would call it, and those edits or that content that they make actually reside in the physical world where it was placed by the creator. And so you can put any kind of content in any place in the world, and that is a multiplayer context that people can engage with, and it's sort of 
ideally conforms to this illusion that like this is actually part of the world. And so the idea of Ubiquity 6 is to build that virtual world and then let people inject their own content into it wherever they may be in their homes, their offices, the park across the street, museums, whatever it is. And so we're sort of that kind of a virtual layer on top of the, the real world that is kind of persistent and multiplayer and sort of engaging. So is it out right now? Can I install this on my device and begin to interact with this? It's not out right now. Hopefully we'll, you'll be hearing things about that later on this year. We sort of, you know, we of course have our demos and previews. We did a preview at the San Francisco MoMA a while ago where we had a bunch of people get our app and, you know, not, not just people sort of in the company, but people just museum goers that were there and sort of interact with our experiences. And that was, that was a really kind of nice, uh, nice event. And so we're sort of rolling it out and we're testing it and we're making sure that when we do release it to the general public, it sort of just works. I'm curious, like, do you mind if I ask some deeper questions about this? I want to like, I want to nerd it up in here. All right. Yeah. So how do we keep, how do we keep the world from getting cluttered, man? Like, and then how can yeah. I manipulate other people's stuff? Like, how does that work? Yeah. So the, the sharing model and the privacy model from a sort of consumer perspective is very important. I mean, the privacy model in particular is very important. And what you're talking about is probably more in the sort of curation model than the sort of privacy model. And so we sort of view it as a, a couple of layers, right? So we have our application, which is sort of the lens through which you are viewing our world. So when you open up our app, that is kind of the only way for you to see all this content, see all this sort of content that people place in the world. And that's sort of mediating the consumer and the virtual world. And we think of it maybe as a lens. And so that is where the logic of curation and sort of reducing clutter would happen. So for example, the app layer might have a sort of following model where I'm following a certain number of creators. And so the world I see when I look through my, my camera is different than the world you see because you have different preferences. You are following the sports layer and I'm following the you know basketball layer, whatever it is. I mean, you, you could be following content, you could be following people. A lot of those decisions are not necessarily set in stone for us we're sort of trying to figure out what is the best way for people to interact with the world. You know, do you want to be curating your world based on people like who made the content? Do you want to be curating it based on con like the semantics of the content, like basketball versus football or whatever. And so those are decisions we're trying to make. And the nice thing is that it's sort of logically separate from like the content itself. So you're right that like, if you had the view of all of the content that was ever made on the platform, it would probably be, very, very cluttered. And so we're working on sort of how that curation mechanism happens, but it will probably be some kind of following of people that you care about or you like, or, or like, like content, something like that. That's pretty neat because I, I get what you're saying, right? So if I were to see everything, that'd be ridiculous, but instead I'll, I'll have some sort of interaction with following creators and I'll see their stuff. And then that way it allows me to craft a world of my favorite things. Yeah, I mean, you can think of it similarly to a feed in a sense. So when I open up Twitter and you open up Twitter, we're seeing very different, you know, worlds, let's say. Yeah. It's just that the world that the kind of display of the world is this this vertical feed that we're going through. For us, the display of the world is the actual world, the physical area around you that you're seeing in AR through your phone. So it's a very similar concept to that. 
that's actually that's like really neat and i'm assuming you guys have your whole like commercialization concepts all mm-hmm. all done that's awesome I, that's exciting i like i like to see ideas like this because this is truly like imagineering right like what disney would used right. to do your imagineers i don't know yeah. if they still have them but it's it's really forward thinking yeah and I, I love it i think it's i just think it's absolutely brilliant and then your design and everything looks really really clean like it looks very Thank good you. the brand and all of that so i'm, yeah, I'm pumped up it. to try it i want to try it i want to do something in my office like yeah. i want to do something for like the show and then i like, have people look at but here's here's where i also see it going and I don't know, I'm just kind of like on a random thought tangent here. But when the technology gets it to where like it's in our contact lenses or our really thin, always wearable glasses, you know, because that's where the world is headed, whether we like it or not. Um, mm-hmm. You guys already have the platform and the content. And so the medium in which is right now, it's just the medium is an app right. on the iPhone. But that doesn't mean it always has to be an app on the iPhone. It can translate to another medium. And now like I could walk around like the entire world and see my literal universe right. through whatever creators I'm following. Right. So I, I don't think it's that controversial to say that this virtual world that we're building is sort of best viewed through some, you know, ubiquitous wearable like glasses or contact lenses or whatever else. Like that is sort of probably the ideal way to view the content. We just think that that is far enough away that and, and there's more than enough value in the mobile phone aspect that we're not really focusing on that, let's say, but you mentioned like you have different potentially different sort of applications or views into the virtual world. And we sort of already have that concept. So for example, you know, you'd have iOS and Android. So those are nominally the same concept because they're both mobile phones, but they're different platforms. But we also have, for example, a web, a web style view where you as a creator maybe can look at your virtual content in more of a sort of free flowing camera way and mutate it, change it, whatever it is. And that's just another view into our representation of the physical world, right? And so even if I'm in San Francisco, if there's some content in Tokyo, I can kind of engage with people in Tokyo by way of browser-based view that sort of teleports me there and gives a sort of representation of the world that's over there. And maybe some people who are looking at that representation are doing so in AR in Tokyo, but I'm doing so from my browser at home. Right. I got it. And so it's just different ways to like look at this this representation of the world that we built. Yeah, you gotta call like the code base project name like teleport or something. That'd be really <laughs> cool, right? Yeah. It's called Atlas right now. Oh like, hey, dude. That that's Atlas is equally cool. Okay. Right. What where are you at right now with how large your team is? We are about thirty six or thirty eight, something along those lines. Uh, we're growing. Is that in engineering or the whole? No, that's the whole. That's the whole org. So engineering is something like twenty-five of that. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still growing. So if anyone listening is looking to work on this kind of a project, reach out on on our website, or you can reach out directly to me. And yeah, so we're about twenty-five engineering, thirty-eight or so total. And so the website would be ubiquity6.com. Ubiquity6.com, or you can send an email to adventure at ubiquity6.com that's like our recruiting email or like reach out email nice it happens i get emails from guests all the time like hey they heard my usually it's like your story of who you are like they heard my story they they liked they resonated with them and then they moved across the country and now they are some of my top engineers and i was like that's awesome man i was like what a cool what a cool thing to happen through a podcast right yeah that'd be great so you're obviously you're a co-founder you're there since the beginning 
what sort of, let's bring some value to these people, right? That are listening. Like what, what sort of struggles did you have uh, as you grew to 25, those first 25 people? What'd you learn? Yeah. So I'll speak on a, on a couple of points. So one is sort of personally as CTO and kind of my personal growth along the way. And then the other would be kind of the company wide. Okay. So from a personal perspective, I think anyone who does this kind of a thing where, you know, you're a CTO at a growing company, you should expect your role to change significantly as you grow. So like early on, uh, I was basically a coder. I was, I was like writing the main parts of the code base. And then as you get more and more people, it's obviously not that you become worse of a coder, but the, the way to sort of optimally exploit your knowledge of the system is, more about making everyone else 10% better than using 100% of your time to code. That's like the, the way you best improve the company or the tech, let's say. Um, and so some of the sort of struggles or hardships or, you know, learnings that I had to do early on is, and, and I, I don't think it's that uncommon is learning the new a different job it's not the same job like your job is changing and so you have to learn the new job on the job and that inevitably comes with some struggles and some you know you just you won't be the best cto for the for the time at your company essentially at any point in time because it's constantly changing and so you constantly are kind of playing catch up about like what is the best way to help the company at every time and so you have to be in a mode where you're okay with that constantly changing. And that will inevitably lead to some frustrations. In terms of in terms of the company growth, I think that probably the main, the biggest, the highest value thing that I eventually learned was communication between teams, especially for us, for example, where because we're working on a pretty multidisciplinary kind of tech stack, we run the risk of having people in sort of silos working on different projects and very rarely understanding what other people are working on and how their project interacts with like the ultimate product and like the value that it's bringing. And so we had some troubles at various points around not communicating well enough and sort of not having the flow of information be like baked into the system, sort of baked into the process that we went with. And I think the, I think that the biggest gains in productivity with respect to sort of challenges and growing and stuff has been around making sure that there's a good line of communication between all the engineering teams that, so they understand where their part interacts with other people's part and interacts with like the whole, the whole product. And so what was like one of the takeaways from that? Did you assign that responsibility to someone on the team to be constantly meeting with the other teams? Like how did you on a tactical level, like solve that. Mm. I mean, so for, I, we didn't, we don't have anyone like explicitly assigned to that at, at some level, I view that as part of my job mm-hmm. because I will have conversations with basically all the team leads. And oftentimes I'm the person who's like saying, or like dis- disseminating that information across the team leads who then disseminated down to the, to the teams. I also think, that the other thing that we've done is sort of, so we have a PM who 
is very technical and very sort of able to understand both the technical side and the product side. And I think one of the things that has helped a lot is sort of empowering him a little more to sort of be that middleman in a more technical capacity, not just a product capacity to sort of explain where, where different things interact with, with other things that primarily I would have explained to him or like told him. And so maybe in that sense, there is a person who's doing it, but it's not so much like the job is to disseminate information. It just, we're, so we've, we've sort of tried to put it into the structure of how we do planning and how we do standups and sprint planning and stuff like that. Yeah. It's hard. Like this is not, this is not like a, a super easy clear cut thing. But that's right. why, that's why we talk about it, right? The more volume I could talk about this with other CTOs, the more feedback we can get. We're actually working on a guide right now that was inspired by, you know, daily motion. Mm-hmm. Um, Guillaume is their CTO over there, daily motion. And he said this phrase that inspired a guide and he called it um, like autonomous leadership. It was a uh, centralized strategy with decentralized execution. And mm-hmm. it was how they actually have all these teams running this huge stack and they make a lot of the things themselves. They don't rely on a lot of the third party tools. So it's, it's how did you get all those product teams? How do you get this central strategy with decentralized execution? And so we started collecting information from different guests uh, about how they do that and putting it into a, a guide to share with other CTOs because mm-hmm. I just thought it sounded really cool. I was like, that's a fun project in 2019, right? Autonomous leadership. I think that could be like a buzzword. No, and I think I think that that phrase is is very true. That's kind of what, I think most engineering orgs should should go for is centralized strategy, decentralized execution. And I think that's the way to for every different project to move the quickest. And what you described too, with how you had this PM who was there and capable, what I felt like you described was you letting go of something you were doing, like and which is good. It's the hard thing to do. It's you recognize right. this individual is capable in the right spot. So you have to back your responsibility out. And that's so tough right. because you start to fall in love with what you're doing and it's exciting. And you're like, oh, I'm really good at it. And the moment you get good at it and the moment it's exciting, it's like you have to let it go and then go do something right. hard and difficult again. So like, well, that's that's really the life of a CTO, a co-founder, like as the company grows, you're constantly letting go of things and moving on to the next thing and like changing your job to make yourself most productive for the company. Yeah. We're, we're doing a company over here. So we did the podcast and that created this leadership program, but you know, so far I've had to go into sales and learn how to do sales and then build Mm -hmm. a sales team. And now we have like, you know, two sales teams that run autonomously and like we get sales without me. And it's like in seven months learning how to do sales and, we had to do, and then I had to go do that like with accounting, right? Right. That place was crazy. I was like, let's hire somebody in accounting real fast. <laughs> right. And payroll and all that stuff. Uh, yeah. So yeah, but it's, it's definitely hard because like I got good at it. Like I started closing some sales and I'm like, this is awesome. Like I love it. And then I'm like, oh, now I got to go focus on product because we right. improve our product now. And I'm in the middle of that too. And it's like every, every four or six weeks, you're learning something, dropping something. And then like right. when I'm dropping something, I'm, I'm basically putting a, a person in place to run the thing that I figured out. It's like, all right, I figured this. No, right. Yeah, but now, now yeah. do this. And oh. it's, basically, it's basically learn something so that you can get someone else to do it and you can learn something else. Yep. And then I'd learn all the like 
re relearn all the the people and leadership skills with it. It's like you're doing a leadership company, learning leadership skills. It's like yeah. one, one thing I found is that when people like researched, I just found this recently, so I'll share it with you. People like will research stuff and then come back to me and give me a bunch of feedback, like not to like give feedback in line because it almost like if a third party were in the room, they'd say, oh, it's like almost. Um, taking the wind out of the point. Like when they're giving me feedback, my job is like make them feel heard. And then after like mm. I process their feedback, come up with some useful stuff. Cause I notice if I, if I start doing the real time feedback, I get engineering, right? Like my engineer part mm. of me kicks off and I'm just like, that won't work good. Like this, this, that. And I start firing <laughs> off too yeah. fast. And then so I'm like, yeah, nope. Yeah, yeah. when I'm getting loads of feedback from people, I just look at them in the eye, pay attention to the feedback come up and then process it, come up with some useful stuff, decide how I want to deliver that back to them. And that's work. <laughs> like it's work. Yeah, well, it's leadership. That's, and that's also a skill that you have to learn. That's probably in terms of all the skills that you learn as a CTO or co-founder that you learn and then drop. That's, that's a skill where that's always your job, essentially. Like that is always part of your job, no matter how big you get, at least up until now anyways. And my guess is that, uh, no matter how big you get, those skills are sort of probably the most ultimately valuable. Yeah, the communication. So from entry level CTO to NASA and Microsoft, the trend there uh, over the past year is communication, right? Be super aware of your habits, and then it's all about the people. And those those are the yeah. ones that tend to just continuously come up. It's like uh, when you're programming and you and you hear the phrase like everything's an object, but then it like as you learn more and more, that phrase becomes like more truthier, right? You're just like, wow, everything really is like everything becomes really demystified and simplified as you as you go up through the levels. And the same thing is is happening on my uh, beginning journey of this leadership stuff. It's like it's mm -hmm. about the people, it's communication, it's your habits, it's how you spend your time. So, so let's bring some some tips real quick. You curate environments essentially, right? In the in the digital and physical world, mm -hmm. but you yourself, like, what tips do you have for your environment that you work in for your productivity have you added things removed things from your environment to become more productive have i added things or removed things from my environment to be productive well i i will say that it's it's a really good idea to get like a really good chair and desk and monitor and keyboard and mouse like that sounds obvious but i feel like i will often see people like working just on their laptop still, like their MacBook Pro or whatever to code. And I feel like if just like the simple tools of your job are actually super valuable. So like get a standing desk that you can go up and down, get like a nice chair, get nice keyboard and mouse and stuff. Because that stuff you use so much throughout the day that like even a minor improvement is so valuable. So that is something I will definitely say other than that, it's really just whatever your preference is. Like, you know, I always have some kind of drink on my desk and I, I pace around a lot. I actually, I have a little, like, I have a little uh, Dave and Buster's ball at the office that I like kick around as I, as I walk around and that just helps me think. And so if, if you have anything like that, then, you know, don't, feel weird and in, in doing it, I guess, whatever, whatever, uh, whatever floats your boat, I guess. I'm a mover. I'm a, yeah. I'm a pacer. I'm a, like a wanderer. Yeah. When I, when I do my talks and stuff, I'll, I have a kitchen, you know, at my house and 
it's like a center island thing so I can like walk around the kitchen in the other, yeah. other room yeah. and so I just like I walk in these circles my wife calls it the track right because <laughs> I walk yeah. in the circles and I'm like typing and I'm like saying my talk stuff in yeah. my head and that it helps me so much um, yeah me too yeah doing some meaningless tasks like putting together a chair or kicking a ball around like it gives the there's something that happens with your brain that's very useful yeah our our office is similar actually it's a it's a big loop basically okay and so i'll just i'll just kind of walk around it kicking on this ball around thinking now where, where is your office located on uh third and third market in san francisco downtown san francisco oh i know that i'm, I'm there probably like I don't know, four or five times a year you should uh next time you're in you should come get a demo Oh, for sure. That'd be, that'd be really cool. There's a, yeah. there's a lot of great companies out there and great yeah. people. I mean, I think some really cool leadership people out there with William Sonoma, they just bought an AR company. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. They had like 110 people in it and they bought it because they were, I guess they were, you know, digitizing their stuff for the future, right? You're a kitchen company. You want to see what the kitchen piece looks like on your countertop. Yeah. Right. That was that was one of the early. I mean, IKEA had done a had done like a demo app as well. That that was one of the early sort of promises of AR. One of the one of the early use cases that people were people kind of latched onto in a sense. Yeah. What do you think of it? I think it's a good use case. Yeah. Uh, it's less. I would say it's less the use case that we go after in the sense that it's not really about persistent. It's not really about building a sort of persistent world it's more about using ar as a tool to like understand something which is a perfectly good use case for ar um and one that would exist perfectly fine on our platform as well but we we care more about the use cases where you're sort of building something persistent that you're going to keep coming back to and interacting with now are you giving talks this do you go out and give talks about what your company is doing and your technical Sometimes I've done, I've done different podcasts as well. Um, and I've given talks at various conferences and stuff like that. I would expect over the next, you know, year or two, as we get closer to launch and have something out there to, to do more of that, there's a certain amount of sort of like almost like education in a sense, because AR is so new and this medium is so new and the AR things that people are familiar with, which is getting more and more, they are getting more and more, you know, out there but those are typically still in the regime of like local AR to, for example, capture a video of it on, on Snapchat or something like that. And we're trying to take that next step into persistent AR that actually you keep coming back to over and over in you know, physical space around the world. And that is a pretty significant shift, I think. Um, so there's a certain amount of, uh, like, like you were talking about like education in a sense. Yeah. And that's important too. It's like, when I looked at your company and I saw you guys had raised some money, I was like, that's pretty cool because I think whether you ultimately achieve your goal, that what you will invent and come up with in the process of attempting to achieve it will become very valuable, right? It's like, I hope so. like with NASA, when they, you know, we have power tools because of the space race right? Because you needed to be able to use tools in space, right? Like that's where tech transfer when stuff comes out of the government and into the private sector. So I see a lot of, you know, I think a lot of the early AI type startups, they got acquired because someone saw 
oh, you built that technology. You were trying to do A, but I need it to use to do B. And then they pick them up. I see, I see your company as like having a high potential for that scenario. I don't know why, but it just comes up in the back of my mind. Well, it does. I think maybe one of the reasons you think that is because when you think of the sort of foundations that we're building, there are so many different ways it could be used because you know, the way I framed it earlier in terms of turning physical spaces into containers for virtual content, like that content can be anything in a sense that, you know, today the main container for content is like 2D screens. So your mobile phone, your browser, your desktop, whatever, your monitor. And fundamentally, we're trying to introduce a new medium for content. And it can be any content, but it's just 3D and spatial and persistent instead. And so, yeah, I, I think that the number of applications for the, for the tech that we're building, the foundations that we're building are, are very broad. I love it. What are some of the products that you've, you love that are helping you accomplish this mission? You mean products in terms of like inspiration or um, that we're actually using? No, like things that you, like in my mind, I was thinking things like Slack and GitHub, like mm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Slack and GitHub are two really good examples. Um, GitHub Actions, which recently came out, we don't really use yet, but uh, I, I, I really like what GitHub is doing. Um, so Slack, GitHub, we use Jira and some Atlassian tools as well. I think that you need some tool to like keep track of progress and yeah. planning and stuff like that, of course. Um, what else do we use though? I mean, we use, we use a lot of AWS and a lot of, a lot of, there are a lot of places where AWS people have their gripes about it and, you know, perfectly fair, but overall it's, it's such a nice like thing to have that this concept exists where they have managed services that do these like very difficult to build things essentially like out of the box. So I, I think that in general, if, when people are, building things from scratch, like you should try to leverage as much as you can without having to do it yourself. Uh, and so then the, there's nothing like, there's nothing wrong with that in a sense. So I like AWS overall. Do you know what actions were? Cause I just learned about that from you just now. GitHub actions. Oh, actions. Yeah. They're like, they're kind of like a serverless execution model that GitHub is like hosting for you. And so like, it will trigger some like action. You can set up actions to trigger on certain GitHub events. And I think they're containerized. I'm not exactly sure what the, 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 like the definition language is, but it's like a serverless it's like model. Workflow it's like, automation. Yeah. I'm, I looked up, I cheated. I looked up their website. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Workflow yeah. They recently announced it. There are a lot of, there, there's a lot of people talking about it and I, I I think it's a very promising like direction for, for GitHub as a, as a company, as a product. Yeah. Cause right now I think I handle this through Heroku. Like Heroku does a lot yeah. of this, but people do that. People use third party stuff like circle CI and stuff like that for the CI, for the, like CI CD related actions. Yeah. We use, we, but we I would use imagine that. that GitHub is going to expand into things, into promoting uses like that, like testing and even deployment and stuff like that. Yeah, we had the CTO of, uh, or the creator of Jenkins. Remember, we used mm. that before? In, in a past life, yeah. yeah. 
Me too. <laughs> I, I used it. I used it like once or twice. That's actually, that brings up a product that I really like that we use called BuildKite. Ooh, I haven't heard of uh, this. Yeah. So BuildKite, it's an interesting thing. It's a CICD thing and it, it, it replaced our usage of Circle CI. Really? And so the model is that they run the orchestration piece. So you install kind of, they call them BuildKite agents on your machine. So you own the hardware and there's, they're stateful machines. Like we use EC2 boxes. So you, so they provide the agent and the orchestration, but you provide the hardware for, for CI CD jobs. So when you put a PR on, on GitHub or something, uh, it'll trigger like the triggering and the allocation of the agent to run the job is done by BuildKite, but the actual compute is provided by you. Whereas in, for example, CircleCI, you give a document right. container and then they run the container, right? And the reason that was so good for us is another tool that we use that I really like, but sometimes actually has some frustrations is, is Bazel, if you've heard of that. I haven't used it yet. Bazel is Google's open source version of their internal build system called Blaze. And it, it is basically like a cross-language build system where you define sort of the dependency graph of your code and how to build various things. And then it will do like the caching and the recompilation and stuff for you. And it's very good for mono repos, which is, which is what we use. We have all of our code in one repo. So you can sort of have very fine grained dependencies and explicitly stated between different packages. So you can sort of like separate your code much better. Um, and so the problem with that is not the problem with that, but Bazel is, much better if you can keep it warm. Like it's like a persistent server model where there's like a, there's like a cache of like its analysis of your code base. And so, and there's a cache in terms of the compilation and everything as well. And the problem with like the pure container orchestration things is that every time a new container gets allocated, that there's no cache anymore. Like it's, it's, a, it's potentially a new box. So we really wanted our CI CD, which is run through Bazel to be warm when a pull request happens. So then we want to own the box. So it's a stateful CICD like set of machines, but we didn't want to deal with like the orchestration of allocating a job to things ourselves. So BuildKite does that basically perfectly for us. Oh, that's awesome. That's a great, it's a great tool. If you're using Bazel or other build systems that need like warm caches, BuildKite is definitely something to look into. That's fantastic. I will, I'm actually going to take a look at that. I think that's pretty neat. There's also some issues. Sometimes you get some false positives from like circle CIs and things like that. Um, yeah. I mean, that will happen yeah. e either way probably, but yeah. True. All right. So I've learned an absolute ton from you. One, one last question I have is, have you, have you picked up on like how your team will pick up on like your energy, like your personality? It's like, if you're down, it's like it mirrors across your network. <laughs> <laughs> have you picked up on yeah. that? And then how have you like adjusted things in your life to, to make sure that you're positive? You know, it's, it's funny you should mention that. I think that uh, I, I typically have a pretty neutral demeanor all the time. Like I, I'm, I'm actually not very, I'm not very often explicitly positive or negative. And so I don't think I really run into that issue. Like I'm sure if I'm like, if I come in and I'm like super, super negative, then people will, will feel that and I'm sure they'll respond appropriately or correspondingly, but I don't, I'm actually pretty neutral, like just always, I think. 
So I haven't really noticed that. Maybe I'm not picking up on something, but uh, I haven't really, I haven't really had that particular problem. Yeah. So you, oh, so you haven't, you haven't noticed that they like to that they'll pick up on your mood. Well, I'm saying that I don't, I don't really have too much difference in my mood. Okay. So, so you're saying yeah. your neutrality. Is, I'm pretty neutral. You're yeah. pretty neutral. Are, yeah. Is your team pretty neutral? No, not everyone. I mean, everyone has their own personality. Yeah. Uh, my co-founder is not that neutral. He's very positive is he? often. And I think that makes people positive. And then I'm kind of neutral so in general. You, so you don't go up on the positivity yeah. train? You're like, uh, you recalibrate? I don't go down. I don't go down on the negativity train either. So you're like super so. centered. I'm pretty centered, I think, yeah. All right. And, that, and then that way people can gravitate around you, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's... I like it. I like, I like, there's all, it's so interesting too, because one thing that I have found to be true is that like, just because it works for one person does not mean it works for other people. Right. Right. So I'm, uh, that's why I like having, you know, being the nerd that I am, like, I like having this wide array of data from different leaders because, because it's just so useful to understand the different types and styles of, of leadership. Yeah. That's Um, actually something, there's something related that, someone told me early on in 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 this company is that there's sort of different archetypes of CTOs, generally speaking. And across all of them, probably, you know, 70% of the job is the same. You gotta be a good like planner, you gotta be a good people person. You gotta sort of be a good, I would say like allocator of technical resources, like decision maker in terms of what we're gonna invest in. And then the rest 20, 30% is sort of up to you to define what you want that to be. You can go into full like manager area where like it's more people person stuff and you're focusing pretty much primarily on, um, you know, making sure people are getting what they want out of the company and stuff like that. You could code still, you could sort of do investigations into new technologies. There's like different archetypes and different, and there's not like a one size fits all. Like you have to pick what's best for your company, but probably more appropriately pick what you are going to be best at like what makes sense for you as like a personal person as a person so where did your strengths fall what did you do with that extra 30 percent i i probably fall on the side of um like investigating new technology to different approaches like things that it, things that are very hard to schedule as part of like the day-to-day planning of doing the work that you know you need to do because they're like kind of investigative or speculative and it's unclear if it'll work or if it's valuable. And so people need to like, it's valuable to sort of do that investigation off the book, so to speak, and then maybe integrate or maybe not. So I would probably fall more on the technical side. So I'll be like coding things or like investigating things, which typically involve some proof of concept style stuff. So what I've seen as the companies hit the several hundred people is with your, with that style that you described, is uh, essentially an office of the CTO or office of the CIO forms and it's right. like a labs yeah. where you will have like two yeah. or three people you keep close and you do lab things, things that the other, and you'll like solve either do some research from outside the business or sol- uh, look to solve problems in an interesting way that are happening inside the business. Right. And so I, I, I always think that that's cool. Whenever there's like an office of the CTO, I'm like, oh, they're solving some crazy black box, like hidden problems. Yeah. I want to know what yeah. they're doing. They can never yeah, talk about I, it. You know. I, I, I feel like that's probably the mode that we'll, we'll grow into. I mean, we're small enough now that the office is basically me in that sense, but yeah, that's how it yeah. starts. 
but but that that model doesn't work for for everyone right and doesn't work for every company and so it's it's really a there's really an effort to understand what is best for you yeah like i i found out like i would have told you i was a labs person probably five mm-hmm. years ago but going through this recently i realized that i'm like the i'm like the speaker person like, mm-hmm. right yeah i like to go out and talk and talk to crowds I like that's what energizes me and it's interesting because like if you were to talk to me you know five six years ago that same energy came from me solving like ridiculously hard technological right. challenges but then right. for some reason i uh adjusted right i right. changed and then i get that energy from from you know helping large groups of people in person like yeah. i like that that's a lot of fun yeah yeah and it can change as company changes too. So who oh, knows? Yeah. Who what? knows? It might go back to labs. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Make some um, like organic. I've always had like, I'm always curious to know like, um, at what point will our devices start? Will we have an adapter for our biological power that we generate to run small devices? Someone's going to mm-hmm. do it at some point. Like I think we mm-hmm. already do it in medicine to some degree. But we're we're energy powerhouses, man. We generate ridiculous amounts of energy right? We just yeah, convert yeah. it through food, caloric intake. Right. So right. at some point, these small little devices that we all have on our wrists and like our, at some point, someone's going to figure out a way to tap power from our organic structure more than just motion. Awesome. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Oh, I got to eat two more uh, hamburgers today because I'm wearing my, <laughs> my power device. My iPhone's running out of battery. My yeah. iPhone's running out of battery. Yeah. yeah. Some more celery sticks. <laughs> so if you were to go back to yourself, like the day you decided with your um, awesome, optimistic co-founder to, to pursue this venture, what, if you could tell yourself one piece of advice that day, what would it be? Hmm. Well, first of all, I would say do it. Okay. Uh, there was, there was a decent amount of like, we did a decent amount of sort of investigation and, and, you know, we wanted to make sure that, that this was possible, let's say. And so uh, I would say, like, do it. It's possible kind of thing. Um, and then I guess I think I would say, I think that my, what I thought it would be and what it was, like what I thought this journey would be and what it has been were very different. That it, it's not worse or better but it's just different. And I don't think the thing I would, I don't think I would give the advice. I don't think I would say like, this is what the journey will be. I think the advice I would give is just expect that the journey will not be what you think it is and like be ready for big changes and, and, and sort of working in uncertainty and stuff like that. <laughs> I love it, man. It's fantastic advice. For me, it would scare the hell out of me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would just be like, it's awesome. You're going to love it. You do great, buddy. You're, you're a good job. But you're like, it's big and it's not what you think. And it's a little bit scary, but keep going. Well, I said, do it. Do I it. Said, do yeah, it. you said, do it. <laughs> Dude, you're a lot of fun. I like you a lot. Yeah. When next time I'm out in San Francisco, I'm going to stop by and say hello. Yeah, you should. And check it you out. You get a demo too. Yeah. I yeah. love it. I love it. Some new demo. Yeah. So if people want to find out more about you. Are you more active on Twitter or LinkedIn? Uh, I'm not super active on either. Twitter is probably the, the better way. Okay. So they wanted to tweet at you. They just look you up. Yeah. It's Ankit Kumar SF. 
Okay. That, that's my that's my handle. Very cool. And then yeah. you gave the email earlier if they're interested in a career yeah. at your company. Adventure at Ubiquity6. Yep. Adventure at Ubiquity6.com. Yep. Awesome, man. Anything else you want to put out there into the world? No, this is this has been a lot of fun. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. You have a fantastic day. You too. See ya. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to help, please take a moment right now to open up the iTunes app and leave a review of the podcast. If you take a screenshot of the review and text it or email it to a friend who needs to listen to the podcast and then CC me, joel at moderncto.io. If you CC me on the email, I'll send you a copy of the Modern CTO book or give you a shout out on the podcast, whichever you prefer.